What up, guys? It's Lisa Billu here with another amazing, freaking incredible, mind-blowing episode of Women of Impact that will, I'm just going to say it, change the way that you interact with a narcissist or anyone toxic forever. Now, today's guest is making her eighth appearance on the show to pull the curtain back and expose the mind games that narcissists play on the daily to make you doubt yourself and even question your own freaking sanity. Yep, you guessed it. It's my girl, Dr. Ramani. Now, Dr. Ramani has been on the show so many times, guys, because she just keeps bringing it. And this episode, I'm telling you, is no different. It's absolutely jam-packed with the truth bombs that anyone dealing with a narcissist needs to hear. Now, we're digging deep into the behavioral patterns that narcissists use every single day to manipulate the hell out of you and keep you sucked into the relationship. We're also diving into why narcissists will never, ever change ever 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 even if you never ever leave them so guys whether you're in a romantic relationship with a narcissist or maybe you suspect a family member or a friend this episode is here to help you spot the toxic behavioral patterns so that you can heal from the abuse and put the pieces back together in order for you to be a freaking badass because that's why you're here i'm lisa billu and welcome to women of impact Death by a thousand cuts is one of your great analogies for a narcissistic relationship. Because let's face it, we get worn down little by little, cut by cut. So what mind games can we start to look out for to prevent us from getting cut again and again? So it's it's such an interesting question you're asking me, these mind games, right? By definition, Lisa, a mind game has this assumption that it's sort of intentional, right? And so I'm going to mess with you. I'm going to get you. And so the thing with the narcissistic person is the way they go through the world, just with everybody, it's not even like they're trying to get just you. And it's not even that like rub my hands together. It's a, it's just how they go through the world, right? So even gaslighting, the intentionality there isn't as much as you would think. Nobody's like, I'm going to gaslight her. So she doesn't question where I was last night. I'm going to gaslight her so I can destabilize her. It's not that. The things that they do in, in, in narcissistic relationships, and everyone uses this word narcissistic abuse, mm-hmm. narcissistic abuse, right? That's the stuff that they do in a relationship, right? And that can include everything from devaluation and dismissiveness and minim- minimizing things and manipulating and gaslighting and behaving in an entitled way, genuinely believing they're more special, or at least their behavior indicates that they think they're more special than anyone else. They're rageful and their rage is all over the map. They future fake. They will promise something is going to, they're going to do something. So you stay in the relationship a little longer. You don't demand anything of them. They breadcrumb. They give you less and less and less stuff over time. There's a lot of betrayal in these relationships. And when you have betrayal and that goes alongside gaslighting, before long, you start feeling responsible for their betrayals. Like, well, maybe I wasn't paying enough attention to them and maybe I wasn't this and maybe I wasn't that. But because this stuff is mixed in with sometimes halfway decent days, that's where the confusion is. And a lot of narcissistic relationships start from something exciting and good in the sense that it's the love bombing or the idealization or the intense interest it's the charm. It's the charisma. Are these things being used tactically? I'm not convinced of that. And I think that's why these relationships are so tricky, that they want your supply and they're going to get your supply any way they want. And they're not even, and the thing is all of these processes, they're not conscious of, 
But this is where the mind game thing becomes, becomes very interesting. They do know what they're doing is often wrong. And here's how it comes out. Because people often say, well, I don't know. If they don't know, then can we really be angry at them? I said, but they kind of do know. And how do we know they know? Because you, anyone out there who's had a narcissistic anyone in their life, usually a partner, but it could even be a parent or a sibling, they will behave differently in front of a group than they will with you individually, right? Mm -hmm. So the classical example, and I talk about it in the book, is they might call you and say, hey, how you doing? Yeah, good. Oh, you're in the car. You're on speaker? Like, what's going on? And they'll make a conversation. Once they determine, and if they, yeah, I'm on speaker, I'm driving. Oh, who's with you? No, no, nobody. I'm, I'm going to whatever. Then they'll go in because there's no audience to hear this. Isn't or, that a mind game then? Because that they is know. a mind game right there. That's mm -hmm. a mind game. They don't want to look bad in front of other people. And if they think you're not going to leave them, which if you're in a long-term committed relationship, that's less likely because it's more disruptive then they think you're kind of a sure thing of sorts. And so they can push that envelope or they get bored. Narcissistic people get bored. They're novelty seeking. But it is kind of a mind game in the sense that the world might think they're cool. People who are close to them, whether it's their employees or their, their close family or their partner, think they're, they're thinking, everyone thinks they're wonderful and I'm seeing the truth of this and it's not cool. That, but nobody believes them because everyone's like, but no, every time we interact with this person, they're great because they know how to play to people, like to an audience or to a group of people they don't see as often, that can feel like a mind game for sure. I think what's hard about these relationships, Lisa, is you've got two sets of rules. The narcissistic person is motivated by very different things than the other person in the relationship. So the other person in the relationship may be motivated by attachment, love, connection, closeness, all the things that make a person want to feel, I want to spend time with them, all of that. The narcissistic person is motivated by power, control, and dominance. Those are very different motivations, right? So by definition, these are asymmetric relationships. Mm. The narcissistic person has to be in the power position and the other person has to be diminished. And let's say, let's say you have two people that are kind of equally matched. They're in comparable jobs. They make the same amount of money, whatever. They may come in with that equivalence. So if you can't break down a person literally by having, I don't know, more money or more power in society or something, you'll break them down and destabilize them psycho psychologically. And then you'll have the power. You own the reality. It's your narrative. Um, how in touch a narcissistic person is with that, that's variable in terms of how much insight they have. But that's, that's the mind game, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. But definitely the two masks, the public mask and the private mask, that's what makes narcissism so vexing for the people in these relationships. Because the example I would give is a person's at a dinner party, having a good time. And in fact, someone even makes a few little, throws a few little critiques at the narcissist. And you're thinking, and you're dreading, oh my God, they're going to rage, they're going to rage. But they don't. And they're like, oh, ha, 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 funny, funny joke. And some people would say at that dinner party, they think, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm the problem because I always think he's too sensitive and he's going to blow up. Well, the dinner party's done. You get in the car. You're thinking, okay, that it's not as bad as I thought. And they start in on you because they were angry about that person critiquing them at the dinner party, but they weren't going to take it out on them. Some narcissists would. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's, a, it's a continuum. So some narcissistic people would have actually taken down that person at the dinner party, 
But in many cases, they would have waited till they were in the car with you to go off on you. Yeah, as, as you're talking, it really is a, all of these are manipulative tactics yeah, are. that are creating something that they're looking for. Yeah. So if they want to demean you because they want to get power over you, they can act in a certain uh, way. You mentioned uh, uh, love bombing. Mm -hmm. So obviously that being a very tactical way mm -hmm. of them drawing you in so they can shower you with admiration mm -hmm. so that they can hook you. And I even heard you say that during the love bombing phase, like the worst thing you can do is say, I love you because that's when you they know that they have you hooked. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely have you hooked them because once you do that, there's a lot of things that go along with I love you, right? It's almost like a license for them to say, I can probably get away with a lot more. I've got them. Mm -hmm. I've got the source of supply where I want it. The best analogy I can use is like a butterfly under glass. Butterfly can't get away. The beautiful thing is now captured under glass. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'd love to go through your patterns that you talk about in your book where you lay out. These are the patterns that a narcissist will, be able, will show. Um, and I'd love to go down what they look like and then mm -hmm. what you can do when you start mm -hmm. to see them mm -hmm. so that hopefully if they're trying to play mind games with you, you've mm -hmm. got a way to almost defend yourself and yeah. protect yourself. So you talk about the deprivation uh, pattern. Right. So the deprivation pattern is stuff like breadcrumbing, right? It's neglect. So narcissistic relationships often open up as very attentive, okay? So this person's lavishing attention. They're focused on you. They're texting you a lot. Many times people will feel very seen. In some cases, it's because this person's everything you want them to be. So they may not even be attentive, but you're so excited about this charming, charismatic, attractive person being interested in you, right? What happens over time, and this is where we see more of the devalue, discard phases of this relationship, is that it's absolute neglect. Like they are, they don't listen, they withhold, they withdraw. And this concept of breadcrumbing is this idea that a person in a narcissistic relationship learns to get by on less and less. So example I can give is that a person is in a relationship with somebody there's just sort of less and less connectedness in the relationship. And it's the morning of their birthday and the narcissistic person says, hey, happy birthday. And the person who's being breadcrumbed is getting nothing. It's like, oh my gosh, you remembered my birthday. And they get excited by, by someone simply waking up and saying happy birthday. So they had done all these things for them. Another example of neglect could be something like Valentine's Day. So here's where breadcrumbing meets gaslighting. It could be the kind of thing where it's Valentine's Day and a person um, is like, oh, I want to do something romantic with my partner. And then the person says, well, maybe we could, like, it's Valentine's Day. Do you want to do something? And then the gaslight starts with, oh, really? You want me to go spend all this money and pay too much money for dinner? And the roses are going to cost more, more now? Like, what do you want from me? Are you, are were you like a gold digger? So now even that tiny little request, so people push back on the neglect, the breadcrumbing, they get that whole gaslighted mess. But the breadcrumbed person gets excited by, and think, oh, they actually came home for dinner or they, they are not playing golf today. Yeah, because it's raining, but they're like, look, they, they're actually interested in me. And it's a way, the breadcrumbing is actually sort of a manifestation of trauma bonding. I'm going to justify this relationship I mean, look, it really works. They said happy birthday to me. But the little things, these tiny crumbs that a person's using to kind of almost make the justification to stay because there's so little to work with. But I want to go back to something you said before. It's like, how do we push back on these? The problem is you don't. 
that's the struggle of these relationships. There's nothing you can do to defend yourself because no matter what you say, they're going to gaslight you. They're not listening and they will shut a person down. So it is more the, and this is where the death by a thousand cuts, especially in the deprivation patterns comes up because you've gotten over months, usually years, you've gotten used to going, getting so little from the relationship that it's almost like a person who's living under conditions of, of, of poverty and not having enough resources. And you get used to making all the ingredients stretch, to making the groceries stretch to the end of the month, to making the, month, the money last to the end of the month, even if it means you're not turning on the heat or whatever it is, you get used to living under those conditions, right? But it takes a toll on you. That's what we know about when people have to stretch like that. It takes a toll on people. So what is more interesting to me, Lisa, is can they push back? No, you can't. You just have to recognize this is not normal. But a lot of people, it's so happening so gradually, they don't always recognize it. This is one of those times, though, where when you start looking at the lives of others. So, for example, let's say you look at someone's life on social media and you're like, that's not always real life, but you might say this is very different than my life. This is where therapy becomes essential. Because when a person says to me this breadcrumb stuff, I will gently say, is that enough? Because that's not much. If all you're saying all they did this day was say happy birthday, I said, did they get you a card? Did they want to have dinner with you? And I've had people say, well, they said good morning. They said happy birthday to me that morning, but they did work late and they didn't come home. And I'm thinking it's your birthday and they didn't come home to have dinner with you. And like they said they had to work really late. Well, and when they came home, um, they're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And th- um, yeah, it was your birthday. And then they made me feel really bad because I was crying because it was my birthday and they didn't come home for dinner. And I'll say, oh, well, I guess you don't mind me working late when it buys you all the stuff that you need. And so then I felt really bad about myself. And you see how that, <laughs> that shape shifts? So you bring it up, it gets worse. So it's almost like you're starving. You get a little bite. And so you're like, well, it's better than starving. I may as well take the bite because it's better than nothing. And so you end up in a position of feast and famine. Well, it's not even a feast. There's never a feast. But the problem is, is that that person then takes that bite and says, we live in plenty here. There's more mm-hmm. than enough here. There's nothing there. I said, you, this is not enough. And, and I think, unfortunately, Lisa, a lot of what we're sort of taught in relationships, especially women, is, you know, just make do, make do. We have this very stoic sense of, you know, cope and be, you know, be strong in the face of it. And you're lucky you're in a relationship or some such nonsense. And so the people who are going through those deprivation patterns, they can really get into this sort of really bleak, lonely space where they also know that if they bring it up, this person is going to attack them. Mm -hmm. So it's the getting them unwedged from that is really, really difficult because they will keep coming back to that one little breadcrumb Mm. and acting like it's a meal. Mm. What up, guys? Now I'm going to share something with you. I can sometimes have a tendency to overthink, question myself, and sometimes, or maybe very often, doubt the decisions I've made. And so my mind just starts spiraling 
round and round. Does that sound familiar? Well, let's face it, when it comes to hiring people on your team, the pressure to make the right choice, the right hire and the right person is even bigger. The stakes are so freaking high, so you need to actually make sure that you have the right tools to help you find the right people so that your team can actually have clarity and work with utter confidence. And that's why, honestly, you've got to go check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion, let me repeat that, a billion with a B, professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals that you can't find anywhere else. And their simple tools make it so easy for you to filter candidates that actually have the skills and experience you are looking for, which saves you time. It's the one thing you're never going to get back is time. So hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. It's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's exactly why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. So guys, go check them out. LinkedIn jobs can actually help you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. So go and post your job for absolutely free, guys, at linkedin.com slash Lisa. Once again, guys, that's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. When you're working really hard to build the freaking amazing life and career that you want, it's sadly really easy to push your health needs to the back burner. And guys, listen, I totally get it because not all that long ago, that was me. I put everything into my business, everything into my goals and my family. And yep, I totally ignored my own health and wellness. And so I just learned the very hard way that putting your well-being first is actually the key to being a confident unfreaking stoppable badass in everything that you do. So my homie, put yourself first and get mentally and physically strong with Aloe Moves, your go-to app for everything from meditation to yoga to strength training to hit and so much more. And I love how Aloe Moves has such a wide variety of class types and levels to keep you motivated with whatever you need on your journey. No matter what your path is, it's time to make a move with Allo Moves. So right now, guys, you can go and get a free 30-day Allo Moves subscription by going to allomoves.com and use code WOI30. That's alloalomoves.com, code WOI30 in all caps. Allomoves.com, code WOI30, all caps. There's two more uh, deprivation patterns that I've recently heard about that I'd never heard. I don't know if you've heard of them before, but one is um, benching. Have you heard being benched? So it basically means that somebody puts you on the bench. So it's like... Or they can pull you off and they need you. Exactly. Yeah, and so yeah, they yeah. put you on the bench, mm-hmm. but they don't want other people to have you. Yes, so they yes, just yes. put you on the bench yes. or it's like the substitute yes. just in case. Yeah. And this becomes part of the whole hoovering dynamic too. Because what will happen is, that the narcissistic person may want new supply. They may cheat on you or they may end it with you and immediately take up with someone else, but they want to keep you on ice, Mm -hmm. right? That's really what that benching is, is putting someone on ice. So ostensibly you're broken up, but they keep sending enough texts. They keep giving a person just enough to make them think, well, maybe it's going to get better. or Maybe we're going to do this or thanks for giving me my space. And in the new year, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. But what they're doing is they're taking someone new on a test drive. Mm-hmm. So they really are putting someone on ice. And that's a very common narcissistic play. Yeah. And the other one I've recently heard that's new is zombieing. What is zombieing? Zombieing is basically when you think the relationship is dead and then they come back from the dead. 
So it's like they ghosted you. Yes. And then they and they and now they come back from the ghost. Yeah, as if like yeah. and then their reasoning and their excuse is like, oh my God, I've just missed you that much. Yeah. And that's again, all of these are under the big banner of hoovering, mm. right? Ghosting is a tricky behavior, Lisa, because some people ghost narcissists because they are so scared of them. They're like, I just want to cut mm. this person out and not give them a way to reach me. And you can do that in the early phases of a relationship. So it's like this idea of all ghosting is bad. It's not really a thing that actually ghosting can sometimes have its utility to it, depending on what the nature is of that other person. But this idea of kind of disappearing and then showing back up, like I said, it's not only a form of hoovering, it plays into that fantasy of being chosen. And that fantasy of being chosen is such a, is something that's a really terrible setup for narcissistic relationships because A, it can play into this cycle of the only thing more seductive than being love bombed is being chosen after someone leaves you and says, I went out there mm. and nothing's as good as you. That's a much bigger fantasy than being love bombed. Oh, never thought about that like that. Mm -hmm. And they're very good at that. Because what will happen too is it could very well be that the next person the narcissistic person meets doesn't put, want to put up with their nonsense. Right. You know, I'm on a one-woman campaign right now to make sure everyone gets this so the next person might actually see right through them. Right. In which case they're going to come sniffing around for more. Right. Th that's why I'm saying they, they're trying. I always think of narcissistic people as like being Costco, where we are all the little things they have on the warehouse shelves that they're just going to buy in bulk quantity. And then that's it. And then when they were stale, they're not going to want any more of us. Oh, but yeah. then they want they want it still there available to them whenever they whenever they want it. That's what. Listen, I've known people, Lisa, who. 10, 15 years out of a narcissistic relationship, that person will still circle back. Mm-hmm. Yep. And will they take them back? Sometimes. Usually not. I mean, mm -hmm. but some do. You remember after 15 years, you start to sort of forget some of the acute wounds. Not everyone does. I think a lot of people are like, what are you, never, never going to do that. But I think for some people, they're so caught by surprise. Surprise is tricky, right? Because when we're caught by surprise, we have, it tends to be a little bit of a sympathetic nervous system response, mm. right? And so we're just sort of, we're not on our game. We're almost kind of, um, uh, it's like there's an alertness, but it's not a good alertness. It's just like a, an astonished alertness. And when that's the case, we, we don't always attend to the wholeness of the situation. And our curiosity sometimes gets the best of us too. Narcissistic people play on all of these things all the time. But I do think that the thing that's being played upon is that idea of being chosen. For the narcissistic person, it's a power play. I'm going to go back in there. I'm going to be like, I, you know, nobody can resist me. You know, they have that kind of saunter. And so they think nobody can resist them. That's their whole grandiose process. Mm. They're not aware necessarily that that other person also has that vulnerability of that idea of being chosen. And our fantasy may be narcissistic person screws it up with us. We may not know they're narcissistic. They go off in the world for their new person they cheated on us with, or they're going to go date, or they're going to do whatever. And our fantasy is, wait till they go out there and they see how bad it is out there. And nobody's going to treat them like I do. And they come back, maybe not for that reason, but that's what they say. Most people will take them back. Mm. And then pile on if you have abandonment issues. Correct. That must mm -hmm. be like the double whammy, where yep. it's like now you've been abandoned, but they've come back mm -hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's the fantasy. If you think of any child who has abandonment issues that go into adulthood, it's that the parent was going to show mm, up again. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, that was just going over the deprivation pattern. We've still got so many more patterns to go through. Um, talk to me about the betrayal pattern. We touched on it a little right. earlier. So narcissistic people lie, and they lie a lot. They lie. That's. I mean, let's start with the most, what's the most fundamental betrayal is somebody lies to you, right? Mm -hmm. They will lie about big things. They will lie about small things. But the lying allows them to maintain the perfectionistic facade, the delusional sense of them being above everything, to allow them to get away with stuff. And sometimes they just lie for the sake of lying. That's more something we see in psychopathy, but some narcissistic mm -hmm. folks do that too. Now, the other things that might fall under betrayal would be things like the um, inf infidelity. And we, you and I talked mm -hmm. at length about cheating and infidelity, which I know a lot of people listen to that. And it's not all cheaters are narcissistic. A lot of narcissistic people cheat. They always need new supply. So that cheating may be, it may be sort of DM kind of cheating, a text cheating, could be all the way to full on having a big sexual, you know, love affair kind of cheating. And they're so entitled and they lack empathy. So they sort of feel they have the right to cheat and they don't care how it affects you. So that's a real setup for, for them betraying someone. And narcissistic people only th really think much more about rewards than they do consequences. Yeah. So the reward is, I'm going to get laid. I'm going to get a blowjob. Like this is, I, I can, someone's going to tell me I'm the best thing in the world and they're right in front of me or they're much younger than me or they're really this or they're really that. That's, the, that's sort of the reward. Or just someone's going to tell me I'm fabulous or I'm going to send these sexy texts to someone and I'm going to have them send me sexy texts back. That's reward. And that motivates narcissistic folks. What they don't think about is consequence. So they're often quite surprised when they're caught and someone's like, I'm out of here, I'm leaving. And they don't even calculate that into the equation. That's very much related Why to- is that? You know, it's, it's, even if you're like super intelligent, you would think that mm -mm. the consequence is part of understanding nope. the- it's, it's really lacking for certain. And, and again, it's, 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 it, there's parts of the brain that subserve you know, that subserve things like understanding rewards and consequences. And we see that narcissistic people do riskier things. They tend to be more impulsive, just tends to go with the personality style. I kind of likened it though in the past, because I know we've spoken about that, but I've always thought about it as being, well, they don't like rules because they like to think that they make the rules. That's how I've kind of always thought about it. Not from a, they don't even consider <clears> the consequences. I think it's partly that, again, it's that rewards, with, with something we call, it actually has a name, it's called reward sensitivity. They're much more acutely aware of rewards. They don't account for consequences. And going to your other point, they're so entitled that they don't think the rules will apply to them or they've gotten away with it before. Mm. The more we get away with things, the more we think we're going to get away with things. That's why narcissistic people are always just absolutely gobsmacked the first time they're not only caught, but then they face a real consequence for something. It's, it's, it's almost they can't process it. That's why the lie thing really gets me because you can't, Hell, like if you're just saying the words to me and you're completely lying, I don't know if you're telling the truth. And then it just leaves that that uh, dynamic very unsettling. It's very unsettling. Um, yeah. And so thinking through that, it's a great, you know, uh, mind game manipulation tactic to just blatantly lie to people because no one can really figure out what the truth is and how you're feeling or how you see things. Um, but how do you even navigate that? So like if you start to see someone's lying, in fact, let me back up. The last time when we spoke about cheating in that last episode, you talked about that one story that really hit me where 
The woman knew he was having an affair. He'd said he was having an affair. She said, the only thing I care about is you not lying to me about it. That's the only thing. You can go and sleep with other women. And he still lied. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The lie is its own power play. Does that make sense? It's not, it's, it's, I'm more clever. I am, it's, it's, it's a sense of, of, of cleverness. It's, it's the game, it's the game playing. It's the getting away with something. You know, those are all in a strange way. Those also become sources of narcissistic supply of that, of that. I'm smarter than everybody else. I can, I can do this. And, and I think in a way it likely was arousing for this person, mm. you know, that there was a certain amount of arousal that came from this is secret. We could get caught. This is forbidden. And that might then just simply, I think, was getting off on on some of that. But and another, you know, and listen, not all betrayal patterns are at the level of big lies or infidelity. Sometimes it's even betrayal over they will tell someone they're going to do something and they don't. That goes to that pattern mm-hmm. of future faking I had mentioned. A future faking is making a promise about a future event, usually to keep someone around. So I'm going to go to therapy and I'm going to change. We're going to move in six months after this happens. I'll be home more often once I get the promotion. Promotion comes, they don't stay home. They don't go to therapy or they go to therapy or they lie about going to therapy. Like the thing they promise doesn't happen. The future faking is what keeps people around. Future faking can be part of hoovering. I, I've gone, I'm going to change and it's going to be different this time. So a person goes back in. To me, why future faking is a betrayal is now a person has given up more time, sometimes years, years and years of their lives going back in in the second round. Like it's no joke. The number of people I said, now that I get narcissism, it sucks because I got hoovered in for another 10 years. 10 years is a long time because they got pulled back in on these false promises. And on that, on that next 10 years, they got in deeper or the finances got deeper or they had kids or whatever the things that might keep a person around and stuck. So those are all betrayals. And it's a, and I actually think everything that happens in a narcissistic relationship is a betrayal. Stealing someone's sense of self, to me, that's a betrayal. Mm. You know, a, a, emotionally abusing someone, that's a betrayal. But really this violation of trust. And it's so sad because sure, we'll talk about it more, I'm sure, is that when your trust is violated regularly like that or in a big ticket way, it not only hurts, but it often makes it difficult for the person who was betrayed to trust anyone in the future. Mm. Do they do they deliberately future fake or is it in that moment they actually do feel sincere about it and then they just don't follow through? You know, it's often hard to say. I think it's more of a, what do I say now to get what I want? Mm-hmm. So it's like a sales tactic mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I've heard you said they're like the biggest salesmen. They're, like, be- they're great mm-hmm. at sales, and that's why they often head companies. Oh, yeah. Because they're so, well, who usually gets to be the CEO? The person who was once a really great salesperson, right? Oh. Okay, moving on to the next pattern is the dimmer pattern. Mm-hmm. Right. So the d- dimmer is just an acronym I use to capture sort of classically what happens in these relationships, which is dismissiveness, invalidation, minimization, manipulation entitlement and rage. So dismissiveness is just that, like, whatever, like that's, that's not that, you know, whatever you're like, I'm, I can't be bothered with this right now. I please like stop talking to me about this. You often feel brushed away. They, you know, it's interesting because if you look at, um, and I don't know if you've talked about it on your show 
about the idea of John Gottman and the Gottman Institute. To me, the Gottman model only applies in, when you have two healthy human beings. Yeah. I don't think it applies. Mm. And I think so many people in narcissistic relationships have actually been a little bit hurt by that model. In fact, I was just working with someone who said she had been in a relationship with someone very narcissistic. They had dealt with all kinds of difficulties and had small children and all of that. And she said, we went in to talk to a Gottman therapist and the person is just going on about the four horsemen of the apocalypse and all this stuff. And she's like, and, and yet the therapist was not able to pick up on how narcissistic the husband was. She's so caught up in sort of the whole thing mm. she was talking about and was missing the key dynamics of this relationship. One thing that the, um, the Gottman folks talk about is this idea of, of turning toward, right? So if you were in a relationship together, okay, and I said, hey, gosh, you're not going to believe it. Like, look what I found in this drawer, Lisa. And you were like on your phone, you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, and you weren't paying attention. What I was doing would be called a bid for attention. If you looked up and you turned toward, what Gottman's folks would argue is that is very much, that's a very predictive of the long-term health of a relationship. That That even about something small, like I found some random piece of jewelry in a drawer that's not at all germane to that other person, that they would still break out of what they were doing to attune to the mm. other partner. That never happens in a narcissistic relationship, right? That's the dismissiveness, right? I don't think you can teach that. And I think that the difference is that they believe you can teach it. I was like, not when it's a narcissistic person involved. I think that always has to be sort of the, um, the disclaimer there, because otherwise people keep sort of like moths to the flame. They just keep bashing themselves against it, thinking they can make this person turn toward. Mm. They will never. And that, that's because the dismissiveness is so central to these narcissistic relationships. Invalidation is a constant because the invalidation allows the narcissistic person to maintain power. And you're just basically, you aren't seen, you aren't heard. You're not allowed to have express a need. You're not allowed to express a want. The only time they're going to meet your need or your want is when it's fully aligned with what they want to do. And then they're not meeting your need. It's just a coincidence at that point that yours mm. happens to be the same as theirs at that moment. The manipulation is constant in all the different ways we've, we're talking about. And manipulation really is them getting what they want, perhaps even making it seem as though it's what's good for you kind of thing. So that, that's, it's constantly you're not having these straight linear communications because you're playing by two different sorts of rule books. Then there's the minimization. So narcissistic people are very preoccupied with their own pain. You know, so when they're going through something, it's the worst thing that's ever happened in history. But let's say you're going through something, it's not that big a deal. And you will be struck by how you might actually have be diagnosed with a severe illness and they'll get a cold. And they're talking about their cold as though it's the worst thing that's ever happened in medical history. You're dealing with a real health crisis and they're saying, oh, you're making too big a deal of it. Like, shh. Stop that. If they're going through something, anything, physical pain, illness, work problems, having a bad day, that's all they can focus on to the detriment of their kids, their partners, anything. It's only their pain. And that's the only thing that they can focus on. Then there's the entitlement. Before you yeah. move over to yeah. entitlement, just, I love this. Um, but the mineralization thing that you spoke about in your book, where um, so I can't remember her name, but she um, she found out she had cancer, yeah. and her husband was annoyed yeah. that they had to make time yeah. to take her to the doctors. Mm -hmm. And it was his first reaction. It's like it literally was like, I have you know I've been diagnosed with cancer. I've got to start treatment right away. And how much? Like, okay, I'm busy. How much time is this going to take me? It wasn't like. 
oh, babe, oh my God, mm. it, it wasn't tears. I'm so worried about it. It was like, how much time is this going to take for me? I don't like hospitals. It's always about them. Always. That's the minimization mm. patterns too. Like it can't be that big a deal, but it's about to inconvenience me. Then there's entitlement. And entitlement to me is something that happens in the relationship because they really will believe that there's one set of rules for them and one set of rules for everybody else. So it might be that they will rage at you for not putting the keys on the hook by the door. But the time that they forget to do it, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> that's the entitlement. And that's a tiny example of it. But these happen in some way, shape, or form all the time. And the, fi the final, the R of the dimmer, if you will, is both rage and reactivity. The expressions of anger, frustration are disproportionate. They are overwhelming. They're terrifying. And it sets up this really unfortunate pattern whereby people in narcissistic relationships often feel triggered by that rage or they're scared of that rage. It's, it's always in the background. It's something that could happen. So they walk on eggshells and they're very, very careful to never say anything that will aggravate them or do anything that aggravates them. So now you can see just simply appeasing and managing this narcissistic person becomes some kind of full-time job because you don't want them to be rageful. And they're also very reactive. They'll react like that very, very quickly. They don't stop and think and listen or think about how this could affect the other person. And what the narcissistic person will often do is maybe later, maybe offer an anemic apology. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they'll say the, the classical narcissistic apology is, I'm sorry you feel that way. <laughs> That's not an apology. That is a gaslight. Okay, so it's the... They they'll say, I'm sorry, you're making, but you know, like stop making such a big deal. They just want it to go away. In, in an interesting way, narcissistic people sometimes are almost a little ashamed, not even a little. They can be quite ashamed at how messy they can be because they want to be cool headed, but they can't help themselves. And if other people see it in particular, they'll come up with all kinds of rationalizations and everything, but they will try to downplay it as like, ah, you're all making too big a deal out of it. In the new day and age we're in, Lisa, with people having phones and they can video everything, mm. and that video is shown to the narcissistic person, especially if it's shown publicly, that they, it, it, it completely spins them out even more because it really shows the world how dysregulated they are. They want to look good to the world. I can imagine that that would be fairly dangerous to, like if a narcissist is raging at you to pull out your phone. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, they will either throw it, break it, grab it, they'll start videoing you. So it becomes the war of camera phones kind of thing. And so you'll see a lot of that as well. Yeah. And then they'll try and flip it on you on their camera and rewrite the story. And then they're, exactly. like they've got the exactly. record of it. Exactly. And then they do it just the right way that in that moment, if you're filming them, then you back down mm -hmm. and now they've gained that power back on you. Mm -hmm. And um, I like that you call these patterns because I assume that all of this, these are patterns versus someone raged once because something really bad Correct. happened no, to them. It's not a one-off. So yeah. if a, when it's a health, healthy people do some of these things sometimes, right. okay? Mm. They do. You know, oh, come on, it's just a cold. And then the person's getting sicker and you say, oh my gosh, this is not just a cold. Yeah, I've done that to and my then poor you, husband. You, you attend and then <laughs> yeah. you're like, okay, okay, let me go up, let me take care of you. And, and then you're careful to never do that again, mm -hmm. right? Um, a person who is healthy might get really mad at something and then they'll apologize very quickly thereafter and say that, that was, a, I was completely out of line. I know I was upset. 
And But that was not okay. That was scary for you. I'm so sorry I hurt you. There's accountability. There's awareness. The other was hurt. That's I mean, if that happens once and it doesn't happen again or it happens almost never again, that's not narcissism. We're looking at, there's a consistency to personality and this pattern will show up again and again. So much so that the other person in the relationship is starting to change their behavior in anticipation is wondering, maybe I'm making it too big a deal. And you know what, Lisa? I've known people who've been in long-term narcissistic relationships because they were minimized so much about their health. They then minimize their own health. And in some cases, didn't get preventative screenings stage one cancers were stage three by the time they were found. This is not a joke. Like you're told so often like, oh, it's not that big a deal. You don't want to inconvenience the narcissistic person that some people may not. They, they, they start to, you, you hear something enough, you start to believe it because it is an indoctrination. And so the dimmer stuff really does become an indoctrinated process whereby you no longer trust yourself. You are sort of li living and behaving in a way that appeases them you are giving up your identity, you doubt yourself, you blame yourself. That's the net result of all those so-called dimmer patterns. Wow, it never occurred to me that the health thing, that they would make fun of you if you say you've got something that's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. So you don't go see the doctor mm -hmm. and you've gone from stage one to stage three cancer. Okay, yeah, they say, the person's like, oh, you know, it's just a stomach ache. Just a stomach ache, I'm being dramatic. Yeah, God, that never dawned on me. I always thought of it as definitely a ding on your confidence and then just like your your general health. But it never dawned on me that it would be that, that you then don't go and seek help for something yeah. that actually ends up being like uh, See, catastrophic. Yeah, because you minimize, you minimize mm -hmm. and you minimize. Like, because you were told so many times, that's not a big deal, that's not a big deal, that's not a big deal. And then you have this symptom and you're thinking, oh, here, I guess I'm making a big deal mm -hmm. of it again. I'm just being a baby. That's rough. God, I never thought about that. Mm -hmm. So if anyone's listening right now, if you've got an ailment, like go see it. Go see a doctor, doctor immediately. And here's the thing I would say, if you're in a narcissistic relationship, don't tell them about it. They're yeah, not going to yeah. be a source of support to you. So if you're feeling something that doesn't feel right, talk to a friend, go write to your doctor if you have no one to talk to, but get the help. Just mm -hmm. don't tell them because they ain't going to help you anyhow. Yeah. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Um I'd like to move on to the domination pattern mm -hmm. now. Yeah. So the domination patterns are, are, the, are the things that allow them to maintain control. And I think most noteworthy here are things like rage, right? And I've made that part of dimmer, but it's really that sense of I hold the power, I, I can control you. Now, the domination patterns tend to show up in more severe narcissistic relationships Sometimes the domination patterns, though, in more moderate narcissistic relationships can show up as somebody taking control of all the finances. I cannot tell you, Lisa, how many people I've talked, especially women over 50 or over 60 or getting divorces where finances in a long-term marriage or relationship got really intermingled. And the partner would say, you got enough going on. I got, I've got the money stuff and all. They're like, extent of my involvement with the finances every year was to sign off on the tax forms. And yeah, maybe I had my own little account or my I had my credit card, but I wasn't paying attention to the rest of it. So many women are socialized to not feel confident with money, to not know how money works. If there's only one thing I wish every woman was forced to do was take a deep financial literacy mm. class because that's where people get stuck. And when someone's like, I'll take care of this headache, it feels like they're being helpful. 
like, okay, they got this covered and we're doing well. Like, look at all this. And then one day when you decide to pull the plug, guess what you don't know a damn thing about is the finance. Do they normally do that tactic thing as a nice thing of like, no, I'll take it off your hands. They'll sell it as a nice thing. Interesting. Yeah, like I, I, Why I, that specifically? I, I, work, I work in this area. Like, you know, I know, I know this stuff mm. or I've been doing this for a long time or, you know, I'm always like watching the, the stock market, this or the, that, or especially if they have any kind, any kind of thing in business, right? That is often where that will happen. It doesn't happen every time, but that financial domination and it doesn't look like domination to somebody saying, I'm going to, I'll take care of this. It feels so helpful, but they're running the show on everything. And where the first time people might see it is if they ever even stop to think to say, oh, what do our investments look like? Let's say they're watching a show like this, right? They're watching us and say, let me ask about the finances. And I would almost guarantee that a narcissistic person is like, why do you need to say, what, what, don't you trust me? Like, I've been, look how well we're living. I've been managing the finances for years. Like, why, why would you need to see that? You're not going to understand it. And if you push it, they will get rage. And in this tactic, because there's so many different ways that we've spoken about already, where it's like there'll be a little forceful, there'll be manipulative. Obviously, this is a manipulation tactic on their part. This is a game that they're playing on and for them to be able to take control. But it's interesting that they're nice about it in this one. Is it so that they you actually do lower your guard and you're like, yeah. oh, okay, this is the thing that they're... It's a manipulation. Yeah. It's a manipulation. It's not like they're like, you're dumb. I don't want you to right. the money. That's what I'm saying. No, it's yeah. not that. A malignant narcissist might pull that. Like, you don't know anything. You stay away from this money stuff. That's a different dynamic. I'm talking more in the moderate narcissistic mm. range. A lot of folks have said, listen, I was busy with kids. I actually didn't know a lot about how money worked. I was, I, I didn't get it. They seem to really get it, especially when you have a lot of other things going on. Kids are a classical example of that. You run around after little kids, especially if you're also working and all that stuff gets combined. People are like, the last thing I'm going to do is sit here with a report of the money and the stocks and the this and the that. A lot of people feel really overwhelmed by that. What are the type of dominance? Because I didn't expect you to say that as mm -hmm. number one, right? You kind of think when you mm -hmm. think dominance is they want to overpower mm -hmm. you. So it mm -hmm. means like they're going to be trying like intimidate you a little. Mm -hmm. So I didn't expect the finance thing. What other things like that may we not even perceive as a dominance pattern, but actually mm. it is? I think another domination pattern we'll see is that there is the, and this is more probably more embedded in the gaslighting pattern is they, there'll always be sort of this remote threat of abandonment hanging up. It's almost like it's hanging so far off in the distance you don't see it, but you know they'll bring it out. So anytime, anytime you bring up any sort of like the relationship isn't going the way you want or you really want to talk some things out about anything, they'll say, yeah, well, if you're, that, if you're not content in this relationship, maybe we should call it quits. That ability to have for them to have abandonment in their back pocket if abandonment's your thing. Because for a lot of folks are saying, I wasn't looking to end the relationship. I just wanted to see if we could make it healthier. Which I wanted to say, there was no making it healthier. You trying to create more accountability was them saying, I can't be bothered. But the way they did it is, no, oh, maybe this isn't for you. Mm -hmm. But they're very, very careful to make sure, because narcissistic people actually are kind of abandonment. They're what we call rejection sensitive, right? Some of them, they struggle with their own abandonment stuff. but if they know you do as well, they will they will use that as like, I guess you don't want to be in this, especially if it's a long term, you know, committed relationship. Most people aren't looking to get out. You know, they just want to have a conversation. But that's another example of domination. It shuts the conversation down. It's just a silent treatment is a form of domination. You don't think of that as a form of domination, but it is. 
when you're out there trying to build and grow your business, but you have so much going on in other areas of your life, be it with your family or your romantic partner or your homies, whatever else you've got going on, you need to be using the best tools available to save time and actually see growth in your company this year, right? And that's why, guys, I really recommend that you go and check out Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell every stage of your business, whether you're just starting out, selling badass necklaces online, or scaling your high-end beauty products to physical stores. Shopify's got you covered, my homie, and their award-winning customer support is ready to help you at every step of your journey. Because let's face it, when you get stuck, you need help. Now, what I love about Shopify is that you can make the most of your time and sell more with less effort. Who doesn't love that? Now you actually have time for self-care, which, let's face it, is super freaking important. Now, with this built-in AI and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to take your business to the next level. It's actually no surprise, guys, that Shopify powers 10% of all, all e-commerce in the US. That's insane. So sign up for only $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash Lisa. Now grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Lisa. There is so much confusing and conflicting information out there about what is a healthy diet, right? But my rule of thumb, guys, is that if you focus on eating high quality animal based proteins rather than cheaper overprocessed meals with a ton of junk ingredients with long words that you just can't pronounce, then you'll immediately be surprised at how much better and how different you feel. That absolutely is how it was for me, guys, when I was recovering from crippling stomach issues that I wasn't able to eat much at all. And then I found ButcherBox. It was amazing because I could finally eat meat that didn't make me feel sick or bloated or just hunched over in agony. And guys, I'm telling you, I've never looked back. I am their biggest, most avid fan. And that's because ButcherBox's unbelievable high standard qualities in their product is guaranteed. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers the highest quality meats and seafood ships directly to your door. Every month, you can let ButcherBox curate a box of high quality cuts for you, or you can actually customize, if you're like me and very picky, you can customize your box with the exact things and the cuts that you are looking for and prioritize your favorite stuff. So guys, it is actually easy to eat better this year with the best meat and seafood on the freaking planet delivered right to your door. And ButcherBox is right now offering our listeners, that's you guys, your choice of a weeknight meal essential, three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips for absolutely free in every order for a year. Like, that's so insane. And I'm telling you, I'm so excited about this offer because I truly love the brand. Plus, actually, I got so excited, I forgot to tell you this. You get $20 off your first order. So just give it a try. Click the link in the show notes or go to butcherbox.com slash W-O-I and use code W-O-I to choose your free offer and get $20 off your order right now. If a person knows that if I push too hard, this person is going to withdraw and stop speaking to me. Silent treatment is the ultimate form of domination because it may, we want to break through it. So before long, we're doing anything they're asking us to do to get them to start talking again. So it's kind of like taking all the consequences of you speaking up, taking action, standing Bingo. up for yourself, and then 
creating a consequence that they know it, you're not going to want that any time. So silent treatment is, okay, if you bring this up, I'm going to be silent. I know you hate silence because to you maybe silence means being ignored, not meaning mm -hmm. having much meaning in the world. So they're using these tactics. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that, that's a tricky one to kind of navigate. I don't think there is no any navigating it. That's mm -hmm. the problem. I remember working with a woman once where she's, they lived in a house together with their kids. And at the point we had our session, she's like, we're in our almost fourth week of silent treatment. He literally wasn't speaking. Show up to dinner, say nothing. Like, and somehow coordination was happening and all of that. But you feel like you're losing your mind. You it's passive aggressive. It's, it's, it's meant to be. And yet to the world, it doesn't look conflictual. Mm -hmm. The world is not seeing two people screaming at each other. Yeah, which makes it even worse because going back to then the gaslighting, am I going crazy, messing with how you feel or think, um, now just gets even more confusing. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right, and now I'd love to move on to the disagreeable pattern. Mm -hmm. I actually have a quote of yours. I love this quote so much. Oh my God. Never wrestle with a pig. You end up dirty and the pig likes it. Mm -hmm. Yes. So that's an old quote. And they do. You're ne Disagreeableness is. They welcome a fight. They welcome an argument. Narcissists, it's why narcissistic people often make great attorneys because they love a fight and they don't shirk from a fight. And they, they are able to get in there and they can, again, it's a place of domination too, right? So it plays on that need for them as well and that sort of set of behaviors. But they're very disagreeable. They are hostile. They are abrupt. They are high conflict um, and, and very conflictual. They are, um, the, the, the lack of empathy falls under disagreeableness. So it is all the stuff that makes everything difficult, right? Asking them to do anything. I always use uh, using sort of the dishwasher example. They're so disagreeable that asking them to empty the dishwasher is such a miserable experience that you do it yourself. You're thinking, going through this, Listening to them being a spoiled teenager and not emptying the dishwasher is so much worse than taking the seven minutes to empty it myself. But before long, you can see how this again creates another asymmetry in the relationship. The other person in the narcissistic relationship is having to pretty much keep all the trains running on time. And the only ones that the narcissistic person is involved in is what matters to them. But because it's like, oh my gosh, I can't even bear the thought of asking them to get the kids from the soccer game. And then people will move heaven and earth to avoid dealing with all that uh, 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 disagreeable stuff. And is that why they're disagreeable? Like, where does that actually stem from? Because I assume they always want to be right. They always want to be right. So let me tell you what the opposite of it is. I might almost, it's almost mm. an easier thing to describe the opposite. The opposite of disagreeableness is Agreeable. agreeableness. Okay. Agreeable people are warm welcoming, sweet, kind, humble, empathic, gentle. That's agreeable. Now think of the opposite. Mm -hmm. It's who they are. An agreeable person is agreeable. Even if you catch an agreeable person on a bad day, they may furrow their brow and say, oh, this isn't a great time for this. I really, really want to listen to you. I do. I got 27 fires burning and that agreeable person will feel terrible for the rest of the day that they couldn't do the thing that person wanted yeah. them to do and might even text and check in later. But nine times out of 10, you're with an agreeable person. They're agreeable. They go along and all the, all the, I mean, agreeable people are the best. They're great. They're wonderful. 
disagreeable is the opposite. And that's the inherent nature of narcissistic people. Listen, you see it as in, if you could look at home movies of narcissistic adults when they were children, little kids, they were disagreeable kids. Really? Yeah, yeah. Mean with their toys, mean with their siblings, um, demanding of the parent, more likely, you know how when kids get a little angry, they'll like, blah, 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 they'll bump against the mm. parents like shins or, uh, uh, that, that, they're like that as kids. They're like that as kids. They're very oppositional. You brought that up mm -hmm. before. The disagreeableness is very much manifested in the, you can't make me do this. Like they're obsessed with, I have freedom. You can't make me do this. Mm -hmm. That oppositional thing is narcissism 101. Like I'm thinking, this is such a small ask, but it's as though the gratification of the power of saying, I'm not doing what you tell me even sometimes the thing you're asking them to do is going to make their mm. life easier. They won't do it That's because somebody was... told them to do it. So you always okay. got to figure out the back door, right? Of getting them to do things. If you really need them to do something, it's like everything feels, it, it, you almost feel like you have to become manipulative to sometimes get the narcissistic person to do something. You can't ask them directly. And it was, it was very, very interesting because this, um, there was somebody I'd work with who she had a chronic illness. So she had to go, I was, I don't know if it was dialysis or something. She had to go get regular medical treatments. And the narcissistic husband was never any help. And she was having a heart broken regularly by this narcissistic partner, never being willing to take her or pick her up from these very regular kinds of medical appointments that she had to go to. Mm. And the one thing, and we worked on all the stuff, the radical acceptance, the realistic expectations. As long as you ask him, I explained to her, he's never going to take her. He's going to take you in this grumpy way. You need to work on a plan B. That's 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 really sort of sort of coping 101 when you're with a narcissist. You've got to come up with a plan B. And so, you know, together we worked it out and talked about it. And then came to find out that through a combination of some friends and also there was like a in her town, there was like a a service so you could get a van to take you to a healthcare appointment. You just had to make a request far in advance. And when they weren't available, she had the friends who the friends couldn't do it all the time. But she came up with a solution. And so she'd take, get her bag and go up the stairs and he'd say, where are you going? And she'd say, well, I'm going to my appointment. And he's like, what do you mean? How are you going to get there? And she said, no, I got the, I forgot the healthcare van had a name to the healthcare van. Mm -hmm. And um, he's like, what? And it was as though, how dare you? Right. But he, so it was almost like she took away his ability to be mean to her mm -hmm. about it. And she said, it felt so good to not ever have to rely on him again after that. That's, the, that's how people cope with these relationships. There's no version of this where she was going to convince him to not be a jerk whenever she asked for her ride. What would you do in a situation where you even said, right, go the back door? That's kind of her saying, I'm just not going to allow him to be the mechanism in which mm -hmm. I need something from him, so I'm going mm -hmm. to solve it. Mm -hmm. But what about, I still need him to take me, but... I don't want him to be mean about it. What's the backdoor possibility there? There's no way of making his ego big that makes him feel good about In the short term, her. Lisa. So okay. if it's a one-time thing, okay, one-time thing, you might be able to like fluff them for a day. You know, like you're the best and oh my gosh, and I'm so lucky. Right. You, meanwhile, you're throwing up in your mouth the whole time you're saying it, right? Mm -hmm. So for some people, honestly, they have to weigh out the toll of being that inauthentic and telling this person who's mistreating you how great they are 
Like people like the, I'd rather pay $200 to a taxi than, you know, ask this person to do this or to do this or to do this. Um, and then sometimes you just got to say they're going to, again, is there a version where they, when you ask them directly to do something, every so often you might get lucky. They might be nice about it, but that's luck, mm -hmm. right? It's like buying a winning lottery ticket or it's the, sometimes you're like, I'm just have to tolerate their rage because they have to do this thing. Like I have no choice. And so you go in and you, the, uh, the thing you're doing is so important to you that you tolerate the rage. That's radical acceptance. Because what people want is they want the version where the narcissistic person gets sweet about the thing you're asking them. They're too oppositional. That's never going to happen. Mm. So we've, we've touched upon it, but I'd really love to go through the narcissistic relation, uh, relationship cycle mm -hmm. that you break mm -hmm. down in your book. Because I think that understanding the cycle with everything that we've just laid out, the patterns mm -hmm. can be really valuable for people. So you mentioned it earlier, but you said love bombing. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about the love bombing stage. Mm -hmm. And then in your book, you also lay out after the love bombing stage between, I think you say it's, um, what is it, three weeks to like six months. Yeah, usually. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's when then the degradation starts happening. Right, right. So the love bombing, everyone's talking about love bombing these days, right? Mm -hmm. In the classical description of love bombing, it's usually a grandiose narcissist who comes in strong. They're charming, they're charismatic, they're attractive, they might be successful. They may be very confident. They pay a lot of attention to you. There's lots of attentive text messages. There's, they make the plans. They take you to the new restaurant. You go on a vacation quickly. It's all the things. It's exciting, right? And it oftentimes, especially if it's a counterbalance to a prior relationship. So let's say you were in a relationship where your partner wasn't attentive or they didn't have a lot of resources. Now, all of a sudden, you're being whisked off to this and that restaurant or you're going on this and that trip. It feels like such a difference or your old partner didn't respond a lot by text and this person's always, good morning, my darling, and all this other stuff. It is very, very seductive. And because it's almost perfect, it's a period of idealization. And they idealize you too at that point. They'll say, you're the, you're, I've never dreamed this could happen. You're the best thing that ever happened to me. You're amazing. People want to hear that, especially if you've had a history of relationships where that didn't happen, if you had a childhood where you didn't feel seen, all of that combines to that sense of sort of this mutual idealization. Everyone's putting each other on pedestals, which is pedestals are dangerous because things always fall off. I always say you don't ever want to be put on or put someone else on a pedestal. And so this goes on for a while, long enough to indoctrinate someone, just like you would into a cult, right? Cults are super fun in the beginning. Right. And then, and then it all goes apart, falls apart. So it's very much a it's a seduction. It's an idealization. It's also an indoctrination. It's the fairy tale. And narcissistic people are very socially perceptive. They have this innate capacity to figure out what the other person wants. That's why they're good at sales. Mm -hmm. Right. So they figure out, you know, because they might even be able to figure out, well, what Lisa would want would be different than what Romani would want. And they might even shift their ground game to please each of us differently, same narcissistic person. That's what I'm saying. These are not socially dumb people. They're actually quite socially skilled. The narcissistic person can sometimes play a little bit of a long game, right? Or they'll do that threatening of abandonment. So if a person's being very, very sort of suspicious and saying, okay, well, if you're, you know, the narcissist might say, I get it. Like, you're not feeling this. You know, you may not be ready for a committed relationship and I could respect that. And then they're going to get up and go. So with them is going to go all the fun. Mm. And so a lot of people say, oh, this is, I'm being closed off. I'm being ridiculous. You know, I've got to stop. I got to stop watching that stupid Dr. Romani's videos and all her stupid red flags. Like 
this is the real thing. And then they start watching the love videos and then they're in. Okay. And then they go and they, they had, they had the sense of the red flags, but that threat of abandonment, like, okay. Cause the narcissistic person isn't trying to suck them back in. They do something even more tricky and they'll say, okay, well, I guess you don't really, maybe you're just not in a time in your life where you want a committed relationship. When in fact, that's exactly what the person wanted, but they were being, they were noticing some things that were making them uncomfortable. And so the narcissistic person throws the door wide open, like, oh, it's totally fine. Like, I get it. You're not ready. And you're thinking, but this person took me out to all these dinners and they were really nice to me. And so what if they did this, 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 and this, like I'm being ridiculous. And the person will gaslight themselves and talk themselves out. I'm closed off. I'm cynical. I'm the one who's the problem. This is why I never end up in relationships. And then they throw themselves all in. There's a moment when the narcissistic person knows, gotcha. And then when they got them, then we go into devalue. And the devaluing phase is a, it's psychologically a complex phase for the narcissistic person. You know, it get, and it gets into dynamics I've actually talked with you about, which is almost as though that deep unprocessed insecurity of the narcissistic person is almost like, well, if you're willing to hang out with me this long, you can't be worth much. But I also think it's because they are narcissistic people are novelty seekers. They always want more and new and new and more. So once they've got you where they want you, they're not going to expend the effort anymore. And the cracks show, listen, even in a healthy, regular relationship, we might have fun in the beginning, but there's a point at which you're like, I got to wake up early for work on Monday. And hey, yo, like I've really enjoyed spending time with you, but the towel, the floor, like there's a different, you know, there's those little things you can negotiate. This is more than that. This is where the gaslighting begins. This is where the, the invalidation happens, the minimization. But the problem is interspersed in there are still some of those love bomb goodies. This is where the trauma bond gets built because now you're going back and forth between uncomfortable experiences and what feel like primally soothing, comforting, exciting experiences. You go back and forth, comfort, discomfort, comfort, discomfort. That creates the trauma bond. And now the person feels as though they kind of can't live without this person, even though people from the outside are saying, this seems like it's not cool anymore. And this process of devaluing can last years. It really can. This phase can last a long time. And it alternates. You might have the sprinkles of goodness, little tiny you know, echoes of the love bomb. Over time, and this could take months, this could take more years. And love bombing can last three weeks to six months. It can go as long as a year. I've, known, I've heard of that happening too. Then you'll get into the discard. Now, the discard doesn't just mean that they get rid of you. The discard can mean that period of neglect that we've talked about. The discard means that they withdraw, they withhold, they're not around, they don't listen to you, they're not interested, they may cheat, but they've checked out. Okay, they just almost like they're keeping you around for whatever bits of supply you're giving them. What, what, they may, or, they, or they may end the relationship with you. That's what I'm going to say. They must be getting some supply they're by getting keeping supply you from dis- somewhere. Yeah. Yes, or you're serving, you're, you're doing things for them. Mm. You could be a source of money for them. You could be a source of, you can put meals on the table for them. You have sex with them. Whatever functions mm-hmm. you serve, they're very calculating. They'll see that. Sometimes discard is when you get rid of them, right? And because you've had it. And that starts a different kind of a game, which is now you're, because leaving, it's so much better when the narcissist breaks up with you because then it's a clean break. But if you try to break up with them, they've lost control. They don't like that. They feel abandoned. And then you get into what's called post-separation abuse, which can be anything from stalking to surveillance to angry emails to angry text messages. And then in most cases, but not all, discard will be followed by Hoover. 
which is the attempt to pull the person back into the dance, back into the relationship. It depends. Sometimes a hoover might ha not happen for years. Sometimes it'll happen in days. This cycle of love bombing, devaluing, and discarding is not just a one-off. It can happen like month to month in a narcissistic relationship. Idealize, devalue, discard, even think of breaking up. Those couples you see that are always making up and breaking up. This is that cycle playing out. I'm not saying that the those are always narcissistic cycles, but that's what this cycle is. And it, it happens in just about every narcissistic relationship. They start very strong, too strong, and then they fall apart. God, as you were breaking that down, also I was thinking it's kind of, you know, the joke of it is like, a, like a choose your own adventure. Did so, you ever play those, right? Where it's like you choose, because even when you said, well, if you do this, then they will just go through another mm -hmm. mechanism. Or if you choose mm -hmm. this and you don't fight back, then this mm -hmm. will happen. Mm -hmm. And so knowing those mechanisms, the way that you just broke mm -hmm. down, I think is really helpful for people to know and start to identify. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you even said it doesn't always happen in this way, in this, sometimes you'll have the both. And I think mm -hmm. that that's also going back to, you know, the thing we've been echoing throughout this episode, that's what creates the confusion. Yep. Is that you're discarded and then love bombed that's or right. you're they're being hoovered right. and you're being you know invalidated mm -hmm. and so mix these all these things in mm -hmm. it's harder to then identify Very to then hard. put words to it because once you put words to it i think it becomes a little like knowledge is power right? right and so it allows you to then come up with a plan if you need mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. and it's not clean i mean that's the thing i think people want it to be the classical they took me out to these great dinners and we went on this fabulous tropical vacation and then over time they devalued me it's not that simple they're looking for what they want that's really what it is by figuring out what you want. Make sense? Mm -hmm. that's, what, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. It's a sales job in many ways. And they, they really spend the time getting to know you, peering deeply at you. And this is, again, where it tricks people because everyone thinks of the, of the narcissistic person as neglectful and unattuned. But for a moment in time, they're more attuned than any human being in the world because they're trying to get information out of you. And that moment of someone just like, taking you in, when you connect it to what many people might not have gotten developmentally in the, in, as they were establishing early attachments, right? That they didn't have that deeply attuned parent or their parent was distracted a lot, that somebody would roll up and think you're so important that they're going to spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours getting to know you. Instead of being suspicious, I do, <laughs> instead of being suspicious, people will think this is what I deserved all along. So these are often people in the strongest part of themselves saying, I deserve to be treated well, and this person is so attuned to me. That's why this is so diabolical, because the, the standard trope of people get into narcissistic relationships because they're insecure, because they're weak, because they're vulnerable. No, these are sometimes people who are like, I'm finally getting the treatment I deserve. This person is treating me like the princess that I am. That's the problem is that anyone can get trauma bonded. It, and, but it's that backing and forth thing. But initially, they may actually play on someone's confidence and someone's ego strength. The confidence part is the thing I've really noticed is that the, one of the probably the biggest things from, you know, um, uh, narcissistic relationships that when someone's left, their confidence has just gone. It's gone. It's gone. gone. But it might have been there once upon a time. Right. That's what's devastating mm -hmm. is I have met folks who said, when I met this person, I was at the top of my game. I was in the job I wanted. I was in the apartment I wanted. I loved my life. I was on my pathway and had, uh, I mean, and, and then it, uh, uh, they said I was in tatters and in pieces. 
but that was not the path I was on. Anyone is vulnerable. And if anyone's walking around like, I could see this coming from a mile away. No, you can't. That's the problem. Mm, Yeah, that is the problem. And then as you uh, lose your confidence and then they do all these tactics as we've been talking about, they're almost like them playing on your fear because you feel like you are whole. They've broken you down. Now you're just a piece. And then if they threaten to leave you, they're like tapping into that fear of now the abandonment that you said, but also now they're leaving you in pieces. Mm -hmm. You don't have that confidence. So you're holding on to it. And I actually have a quote of yours about fear itself. Um, You said, fear is the most powerful adhesive we have. The fear ties are as sticky as a spider's web. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's the fear of no one else. I'm damaged. No one's going to want me. The devil I know. What if I'm always going to be alone? And a big fear folks have is, what if they change for the next person? What if they go on into their best life? And I'm left here in all these pieces, wondering, and I'm a mess. It's always the fear that they're going to move on and it's all going to work out for them. Here's the thing. And this, I know most survivors, even people listening to this are rolling their eyes saying, oh, this doesn't make me feel better, is The narcissistic person is never going to change. They're going to be this person for the next person. The next person isn't you. Does that make sense? They're different too. They may even look like you. They're a different person. And I'm not saying that there's anyone out there that likes being in a narcissistic relationship, but I do think that there are people out there who... may not be, they may be looking for different things. I've seen this happen, Lisa. I recently had watched a story unfold that where it was a very narcissistic person and they leave a nice person and then they quickly get into a new relationship. But the new person is so superficial. I don't know that the new person's narcissistic, but the new person is so superficial that they are not it's almost as though the superficial stuff's enough for that person. So let's say you're a person who wants a connection. You want connection and empathy and closeness and all that stuff, right? And obviously the narcissistic person is absolutely, and you're constantly, why aren't you, why aren't we spending time and you're trying to communicate with them and it's all a mess and, and, they, and they end up and they find their new source of supply, right? Their new source of supply, let's say is again, someone very hollow and superficial, maybe not even narcissistic, just superficial and just cares just how they look to the world. And that that narcissistic person is almost kind of working for them because it's all superficial. It's all a relationship of Instagram posts and, you know, look what, look what they bought me and all, you know what I'm saying? It's that you're not that superficial person. So had you been able to keep it that superficial, maybe the relationship would have worked. Is that who you are? No. The who you are could not have worked with this. Are there some people who can make it work? Everyone's different. There's 7 billion of us on this planet, right? So they may make it work, but it's not, their, it's not a better life because that not, could not be what you would have with them because you wanted something more. And I think a lot of people think like, oh, maybe it's too much to ask for closeness and connection. And I'm like, no. That's sort of the base model, folks. Like, that's it. That's what you want. And being content with, you know, a picture in front of a sunset is not, you know, but for some person that might be enough. And if the narcissistic person finds that hollow person, 
they may actually work for the long term. That can be. And that's very, that plays on that fear. <gasps> you know, in a way, going back to your benching, Lisa, mm -hmm. some people in narcissistic relationships do their own form of benching, which is, I don't want this person out there to go meet their new person to go. Because here's the other fear, too, is that you would have you were doing all these things for the narcissistic person. Right. And that they're going to find someone else who will do those things for them. And you're like, are you kidding me? Right. And so the, the there's a sense of some people like I don't even want to let this person go because I don't want the, I don't want to let the narcissist go because I know they're going to go off and meet someone else. Dude, that's so strong. I didn't want to interrupt you. I was holding my breath. That's so strong. Like when I think about, you do do that, right? You look at the other and it's like, oh my God, but they're making it work. Did I let something go? And you start to remember the one thing that was good. You've mentioned it many times, right? Uh, euphoric recall mm -hmm. um, where you're going back and you're like, but that one moment. Um, and the part that was missing for me that just fit in like beautifully, like the puzzle pieces, they may find someone that, doesn't yeah. mind being superficial. That's right. That's and so exactly of right. course, it's not even maybe they found someone that's going to put up with stuff that you're not willing to put up with. It's that they actually may not care and they may be superficial enough to just take... Because they're getting some superficial yeah. need. I mean, because one thing that narcissistic people are great at being is Instagram boyfriends, girlfriends, well, partners. Yeah, oh, they're yeah. really good at that. Mm. Like they like the show. Not always, but m much of the time. So if they're meeting someone who that's all they want, they, that's probably going to be a win for them. Yeah. Oh my God, girl, this has been a freaking masterclass. Guys, if you're watching, please do subscribe for more of these amazing videos. But where can people find you and your amazing so, bag? Please pre-order my book. Please, oh please, I, I beseech you. You can pre-order my book anywhere you buy your books, anywhere. And um, so you can do that and you, you will get it right when it comes out. Um, you can find me at my website, drromany.com. You can find me on YouTube every day. For people who want to do a deeper dive into healing, especially you read something like this and say, okay, I need to do this work. We have a healing program that meets, that's a monthly healing program for people who are experiencing and want to heal from narcissistic relationships. But, you know, I poured my heart into this book. Like it really was, it wasn't just a book. And so I hope people realize that and, and in realizing this, that the big takeaway from this book is not only, it's almost like, eh, there's a little bit about narcissists, but it's about you. It's about your healing. But more than anything, the real takeaway from this book is healing is not only possible, many people can come out of this much stronger than they ever went in. Working to be confident and freaking badass can be very difficult. Now, I get it, guys. I get it. Kicking ass and taking names takes energy. But when it comes to micronutrients, you're like, wait, how much vitamin B do I need? It can be a daily freaking struggle to figure out and meet that perfect nutrition balance that you need to feel strong, focused and energized, which, of course, are all the things you need to become a freaking confident badass. So it's time to arm your body with every nutrient it absolutely deserves with AG1. Now, if you're a long-time listener, you might know that I've actually been supporting AG1 for many years now. And that's because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. So if you want to take ownership of your life, 
That actually means you have to take ownership over your health. And it all starts, guys, with AG1. So, guys, go and try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go now to drinkag1.com slash Lisa. That's drinkag1.com slash Lisa. Go check it out. What up, my homie? First, I just want to actually thank you. Like from the bottom of my heart, sincerely, absolutely thank you for your support, your support for me, your support for the show, Women of Impact. Like you have no actual idea how much this really means to me when I had that original vision of what I wanted to do and no one was listening. So thank you. Thank you for being here and actually supporting other women along this journey. And I'm going to be honest, if you actually want to level up your confidence game, my homie, then check out Women of Impact's subscription channel. It's specifically designed to help you in every aspect that you're looking for. Now, here's what you get. You get new episodes delivered ad-free. You get exclusive access to listen to Women of Impact roundtable discussions, weekly motivation, previously unreleased episodes, and that's just the beginning. Subscriber only access to an additional four podcasts with hundreds of archived Women of Impact episodes meticulously, meticulously curated into theme playlists and updated weekly so that you get the dose that you need. So if you're looking to boost your confidence, then go and check out the Get Confidence playlist. If you want to repair, heal or start a relationship, then go check out Love Lab. And if you're wondering how you get your health back on track so that you can keep showing up to have the confidence that you're looking for, then go check out Health Hub. And of course, this wouldn't be complete without my weekly boost of mini motivations from moi. That's right. It will have you strutting down the street with your head held high, feeling like a freaking badass. And guess what the playlist is called? the badass boost of course so guys don't settle for mediocrity when you can absolutely be extraordinary so guys subscribe to women of impact channel today on apple Podcasts or supercast but no matter where you're listening guys whether it's apple Podcasts, spotify amazon music or any other platform make sure you're following so you don't miss out on other episodes and don't forget to check out the show notes for more information on this episode our incredible sponsors and upcoming events